Hi, everyone. I'm Aaliyah Kemet, and welcome to Phenomenal Grit, career conversations for women of color. It's time to get intentional about why you are here. This podcast is all about winning, winning at work, winning in your career, and finding happiness and joy in the process. Each episode, I'll either be talking to an amazing and inspiring guest or sharing stories and lessons from my own personal career journey. It's time to invest in you with you. Let's get into it. Today's conversation is about making courageous career choices, and I'm thrilled to have it with Nadja Bellin-White. Nadja is known as The Fixer, the person brands call when they are facing challenges. She offers fantastic advice about bravery and not settling. There's so many gems in this conversation. Her background in digital, brand, and consulting makes her a phenomenal leader for clients such as American Express, LG Electronics, IKEA North America, Coca-Cola, Unilever, and more. Watch out. This conversation might inspire you to do something you were not ready for. You might just take a leap, move to another country. Certainly, it's going to inspire you to believe in yourself and your personal ability to make an impact. Nadja has recently taken on a new role as global CMO of Vice Media Group. We really dig into how she decided to make big career moves across multiple continents and industries. Enjoy the conversation. You look so good. Really? You look beautiful. I've always thought that, but you look great. Yeah. Oh, you're so sweet. I'm testing the idea of being like almost like vegetarian-ish. Okay. Ish. Okay. Ish. So you're like a flexitarian? I'm a flexitarian. I don't really eat red meat or pork, but I will every once in a while I'll have like a bit of chicken or fish. So what's making it almost vegetarian? Are you eating like seton and tofu? I don't like that. My new favorite thing is the impossible burger. Oh my God, girl. It's so good. It's so good. I don't know why you guys haven't teamed up with them and do something with McCormick because I feel like your like steak seasoning with the Impossible yeah. Burger is everything. The Impossible Burger is absolutely delicious. Do you, have you had one out, or do, are you just making it yourself? I'm making it myself. And in London, they have something called Paul McCartney's pulled uh-huh. pork vegan yeah. burgers, uh-huh. which is like having pulled pork without pork. It's all like jackfruit and other things. Now, jackfruit's good for you. You're cooking it at home yourself. The Impossible Burger. Mm-hmm. Are you having it? That's great. Yeah, I've done both. Elevation yeah, Burger has it. Do you guys have Elevation Burger? I'm in New York, but you know what? But I can just do the impossible thing on my own. It's much better. Bread or no bread. And yeah. Cheese. And it's like having a real... My kids actually prefer the impossible burger to real burger. Do they know? Well, your kids are older, so they know. They know, but they prefer it. My kids don't prefer it because they think it tastes like it's similar to a real burger and they grew up vegetarian. So they're like, what is this? This is like meat. So they don't want it. Yeah, but that's exactly why my kids love it because I, I, I haven't had meat in like seven, eight years. And so it takes care of that meat craving. Yeah, no, it's good stuff. I like it. I won't say what we flavor, but we flavor a lot of things. I'll just leave it at that. I love to talk to you. I definitely feel like we have this really kind of cool history of working on IKEA together. Definitely the first time I worked with a powerhouse Black woman as first and only. Yeah. At a very senior level, I don't think I have on an agency side. We got to know each other during that time. And you were always so instrumental to me in what 
excellence looks like and how does excellence show up? And so I I would love it if you could start by sharing a little bit about how you made the decisions. You have a couple of key pivotal moments in your career. When you started working in digital, working definitely at Ogilvy for such a long time, and then making the decision to go from Ogilvy. I know you started working in digital pretty early when digital was really just coming online. And you saw that as an opportunity. Tell me about that. Well, I was doing marketing strategy at IBM, right? And I used to spend a lot of time sitting, honestly, in some of these these calls, these earnings calls, learning a bit about what Dell Computer was doing, what Apple was doing at the time, and really paying attention to where the trends were going. And I remember sitting in a meeting at IBM, and we were talking about the idea about how consumers will be purchasing using this thing called the, the web. And I remember getting great resistance from people saying, that's impossible. Mm-hmm. People, people are not going to be using this channel, right? That's just ridiculous. I have mm-hmm. shoes older than you, young lady. And this, this idea of consumers doing this, this doesn't work. And so I ended up writing a white paper that essentially said why I thought IBM was going to end up exiting the PC company because they weren't listening at the time. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting in a meeting with... Uh, Honestly, it was people from Ogilvy. I mean, they were representing IBM. And I said, well, they're having a lot more fun than I'm having. There must be something to this industry. Mm-hmm. And, and I started to get up and talk about customer relationship marketing and what it meant to put the customer at the center of, of your choices and your right. brand and what this meant. Little did I know doing that at IBM, figuring out how we can go direct, always put me in a, in a, in a field where I was always working around technology and kind right. of what's next. That led me to digital. When I started out in 1999, people were like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. So you're working with what banners and buttons and you're using mm-hmm. like, you're using online to actually create marketing. And, you know, in the beginning, the, if you worked in digital, people were like, oh, what is that? Well, quite frankly, it was an extension of what direct marketing had always been. Mm-hmm. But in many ways, you're always able to track the effectiveness of it right? You always knew the value that you were getting. And so I became an unusual unicorn and I ended Mm -hmm. up leading innovations and that kind of launched my career. And I worked at Digitas before it was called Digitas. My mentor was a gentleman by the name of David Kenny, who said, she's kind of smart, this one, you know, she's got, you know, an MBA and she's worked at IBM. And I used to look at everything from how it's going to drive business. I was talking about how to drive business in 2001. And I think part of how we survived is that was always my orientation. I would always start every meeting. So what does this mean for how we're going to drive the business? And that was highly unusual for someone within the broader advertising agency background. Also, it was unusual for someone coming and bringing that with a digital background, which was still very new. So you're you're certainly a unicorn. Oh, yeah. And I started doing all sorts of firsts. I remember talking about the power of persuasive marketing. Mm -hmm. What, how you would use influencers. And I would team up with my then media co- cohorts and, and how we leverage media. Do you think, Nadja, that is where you became, like as you start to get your feet wet there in digital, that you became quite courageous? Or do you feel like that was something, that courageousness that you learned earlier? I think I've always been courageous. You know, I started out going to boarding yes. school for a better chance. And, mm. you know, like my lovely Jamaican mother who believed that there are no excuses in this mm-hmm. world. And you have two choices of the path you're going to take. You can go left or you can go right. Mm-hmm. 
but you're going to have to make a decision. And in my neighborhood where I grew up in Queens, I mean, I'll be honest, I saw a lot of people who chose a different path that I did not want. There were girls getting pregnant at 13 and 14. That's not a path I wanted. And so I grew up with one foot in both worlds, not unlike Mm -hmm. many of the people, many of us grew up like that. You always had to be twice as good. Mm -hmm. You always had to keep your head down. You always had to stay focused. So I had a drive in me that Mm -hmm. I wanted to be first. I wanted to be the first one. I wanted to be the one to, to, to walk that door, but also leave the door open for others. Mm -hmm. And so that's always been my orientation from the very beginning. And so the, the characteristics I developed in my career was always around being as inclusive as possible mm-hmm. and bringing people along and seeking allyship where I could. And that was quite helpful for me as I went from Digitas to head up cross-cultural marketing agency to working at Publicis um, to Ogilvy, right? And even, you know, when you and I first met working on Ikea, when I walked into the room at Ikea and, you know, I had had experience in retail And you guys were just firing all sorts of questions at me about, well, how are you going to do this? And how, Mm -hmm. what are we going to do to help drive business for Ikea across North America? And it was like rapid fire. I felt like I was on an episode of Jeopardy. That's because you came, you actually came on board to fix the business. Remember that? No one told me at the time. Right. (laughs) Right. Silly me. I show up in the middle of December. They were like, that was a great meeting. But luckily, again, my orientation and training had always been, what is this going to do to drive the business? Mm -hmm. And so that was how we restructured the team. And then the other thing you learn along the path is how to surround yourself with amazing people, an amazing, diverse group of individuals. And I'm proud of the the era that I had at Ogilvy because I had the most incredible, diverse team from Brazil, from Germany, from all over that really helped support the business and and drive change. How long were you at Ogilvy? Because that was a long time. Yeah, I've, I was at Ogilvy for over 10 years. And having done gro- great work with, with you all and other brands, the, the then chairman tapped me on the shoulder and he said, this isn't enough for you. Mm-hmm. Like, I think you have another opportunity. And I had the benefit of meeting this amazing woman by the name of Nunu um, Shingila Ngeke, who at the time was the head of Ogilvy South Africa. Mm-hmm. And she and I had a long interview and she said, my dear, I need you to come and finish what I started. Wow. I love and that. She Wait, she, she actually, she tapped you and said, please come and be my successor. Like, I want you, right. I love that. And so I then went to Nairobi and worked with the teams across the continent. And there was a separate team in South Africa. And I was focused on sub-Saharan Africa, overseeing about 26 countries. And again, I walked in that room the same way I did when I met you with, okay, I am here temporarily to help mm-hmm. turn this around. And, and, and to many of you who are from Kenya, Tanzania, Ghana, Zambia, and other countries in which we may work in, I'm not going to be here forever. Mm-hmm. But I'm here to empower you and create a center of excellence to let you know that you are as good as everybody else around this globe. When you made that decision to go, when you got there, oh, was there a... I mean, right. So that had to have been really hard. I, I it was hard. Know. It was really hard. I mean, I yeah. remember, I remember in the early stages saying, "Have I lost my mind? Did mm-hmm. I just literally get rid of everything, move my family to the other side of the world?" But 
Look, I think you have to believe that you're on this earth to do to make an impact. I've always believed that I'm on this earth to make an impact. And it can't just be done from my little address in Harlem. One of the things I've noticed is that people of color, and I think Black people in particular, seem to be less mobile in business sometimes. Oh, yeah. And, right? And I think what you did is so courageous to move to an entire another continent, right, to run a business. And it helped, obviously, to grow your career tremendously. But what kind of advice would you give other women to encourage them to take on such an opportunity? I mean, maybe not at that level, but just an opportunity to see another part of the world and work. Go. Mm. Go. I, you know, I remember talking to a woman in London, and I was in London on a business trip when I was based in Nairobi. And I went and saw her and there was something in her eyes where she wasn't happy. And I said, what, what, are you, what are you doing here? You clearly are too smart for whatever you're doing. So why don't you come to Kenya and be my head of digital? She came? Oh, my God. And it's all about paying it forward. And she ended up mm-hmm. making such an impact when she was there. And mm-hmm. she said, you know, why are you doing this? I said, let's be clear. You're already beyond qualified. Mm-hmm. I just need you to know that I see you. and mm-hmm. so. Wherever I've been, I've tried really hard to make an impact. Now, I'm not going to give you a free handout, right? but I am going to give you an opportunity. And what I always say to young people is, why are you staying here in the United States again? Mm-hmm. Why aren't you exploring opportunities abroad? The time to spread your wings is before you get married. Right. I mean, or very early on in your kids' relationships. But you still did it. You did it, girl. I you did. I grabbed those kids. Yeah. Your husband and children. And, and you were right. married. You had kids. And you still went into two continents. I did two continents. Mm-hmm. I did it. But you grow as a, as a unit. And, and the challenge is going to be, for those that do it, is you become a different person. Mm-hmm. You know, remember, it's been six and a half, seven years. I'm now coming back from the U.S. I am a different person than I was six and a half, seven years ago, because you've had different experiences. How long did you stay in um, Kenya? Kenya, three and a half years. Okay. And then, so you were in London for about three years. Three and a half. Yeah. So the same, right? Isn't that interesting? That is so interesting. And when you went to London, how was the role different than the role in Kenya? Well, you had to get oriented to the more European way of things. Mm -hmm. And I had to reorient myself. And I think the UK and Europe, they're going through their own renaissance, if you will, in realization of, of the power of, of their blackness, of their ethnicity. They're going through their own metamorphosis. And I have met the most extraordinary people while in London that are truly game changers. And I said to someone I was out to dinner one night, I believe that part of my desire is to connect the dots mm-hmm. from my experiences in Africa to my experiences across Europe as well as my experiences in the States and to bring those three people together. And to this day, I will WhatsApp people in Lagos. I'll WhatsApp people in London. I'll WhatsApp people in Kenya. I'll WhatsApp people in Cairo. I'll WhatsApp people in Chicago about Mm -hmm. opportunities. And isn't that what I'm supposed to do? So Mm -hmm. part of, part of maturity is recognizing what you are supposed to do. And my job is to open a door for others globally. I don't have to do the job. I just simply have to create an opportunity for others to step into it. As a connector. As the connector. And you have to know what your your superpower is. I get excited about watching two people come together saying, see, 
Mm-hmm. You can do two, you can do great things together. That excites me. Others may not get that same level of joy from it. I do. Do you think that your superpower is identifying those those people and bringing them together? Yeah, I think I, I think I do. I think I'm able to identify and find talent, talent and talent. common and, and, and bring together across diverse cultures and perspectives, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. common threads that tie people together. You may be from completely different cultures, but in fact, I will say, but you two have this and this in common. I call it the long, okay. beautiful dinner table. That's my, that's what I'm creating around the globe. That's, that'll be the name of my book. I'll write that down. How do people recognize their own superpower though? Cause you're very confident, you know, yours, you had to pressure test it, but people who are just coming up, right? How do they start to tap into that place? You got to listen to what it is. Mm. I think a lot more people recognize it, but they may not want to accept it. Some people are meant to always be the one that's out there in front. And some people know that they're meant to be the great connectors. Mm. It is a humbling experience to recognize that you're not the one that needs to be in the limelight, but somebody else deserves it. Mm-hmm. And that takes maturity because not everyone's ready to be that person. Right. It takes time and maturity. But isn't it beautiful when you see people thrive? Yes. I love to see all my babies thrive. I love, I have many baby sisters everywhere. And Mm -hmm. I I get excited when you thrive, when, you know, this other young lady I mentor, Gail Brooks thrives out of Atlanta. That's doing amazing work. When Shannon Washington, who's who's just made a, like a CCO with um, RGA here, when she thrives and I I get excited. Yeah. I I get excited about my babies thriving Mm -hmm. because I remember when, you know, we just talk about stuff. But that's the role of a mentor, right? A mentor should actually be trying to see their mentee or someone they're coaching or whatever go to that next level. So why wouldn't you be super? Yeah. And, you know, Fiona Wawu that's sitting in London, um, Mm -hmm. you know, Akuanardi who's sitting in Ghana. You know, I was just talking to another woman named Kofo in in Lagos. All of them are my babies. Mm -hmm. I call them all my baby sisters, right? I have two baby brothers too who are probably mad that I'm not talking about them, but we're talking about women. We talk about women here. We talk about women here. But it's about helping them thrive. Because mm-hmm. for me, I didn't have enough people looking out. I had many that did, but it was hard. I made right. tons of stupid mistakes. And I want to prevent people from having to have the tough time that I did. Mm-hmm. Right. I want to make it a bit easier, not completely, because some of it, you just have to have the grit and just buckle down and do that damn thing. Right. But for some people, it's about saying, ah, sis, that's that's not a good move. Mm-hmm. That person that you think is so good is actually rubbish. Mm-hmm. And you need to surround yourself with a, a bit more excellence. Mm-hmm. And you need to surround yourself with this. You know, it need to offset your some of your strengths with someone who may have different qualities. Right. You begin to put things together like a beautiful recipe and say, now, what do you have when you put it together? What are the key ingredients of your success? I love that. Those are hard conversations to have, but you've got to have someone in your corner who will have them with you. And it sounds like you've been that someone to a lot of folks. Yeah. People need to be looking for a Naja Bell and White in their circle who will encourage them, but then pull pull them up, right? At the same time, right? You have to. I can tell people that are not into it and I tend to Mm -hmm. repel those people. I repel them. (laughs) 
<laughs> they don't want the feedback. They don't want the healthy feedback. It's okay. They, just move on. You just let stuff. You just let stuff unfold. They don't want the gifts. And I know it's hard, but girl, hey. it is so hard, and it is incredibly lonely. You know, um, I was talking to Jerry Devard. I'm sure you've heard of her, and she's a great. Um, you know, marketing leader in the world. And, you know, she's someone I look up to and ask for advice. And, you know, when I was moving abroad, I'm like, Jerry, is this right? She was like, girl, are you crazy? You get on that plane and you go. And she did it too, right? You know, and, and she, you know, there's a handful of us. There's um, Nigel Tito Reed, who's I think living in Switzerland. And the first time she and I met, I was like, girl, people have been confusing us for like 10 years. They were like that other, the black the other woman one. from America, the other one. Right. He's like, which one? You're like that one? I mean, it was great when we met, right? We had this moment of love and we ended up celebrating Thanksgiving together in London, which is amazing. Yeah. And and we, we, you know, and I think there's a special role for those of us that decided to go abroad and come back. Mm-hmm. And I think a part of me will end up living abroad part of the time and, and here part of the time. I can never just say I won't ever see you again. You came back though to a very global role. I, I know. Yeah, advice, advice media group. I'm the, they didn't expect me to walk through the door. I so appreciate you for doing this kind of a second time because when we talked the first time, you were still at Ogilvy and I dragged my feet getting this out. And when I saw you were now global CMO of Vice, I said, okay, I know Nadja will do this again for me. <laughs> of course. I re- thank you. And I really wanted to hear and for my listeners to hear how do you decide to come back to the U.S. and what type of thinking, what your thought process was in choosing what your next role would be coming back into the U.S.? Because I know you had options, girl. I, I had I had many options. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the primary drivers was my mom's older and I could have stayed in London and just continued to do this, but it was time to come back. Mm-hmm. And it had to be the right opportunity. And I'm a Christian person. And I believe that God's when he blows in your direction, you have mm-hmm. to like be ready for it. It was a series of great conversations with the CEO, Nancy uh, Dubuque about opportunities of what Vice Media Group could be. And she and I had a really good conversation. It was solid. Talking to her, I was like, I can talk to you all day long. And I was inspired by her vision. And I said, Mm -hmm. look, if I'm going to do this role, this is how I want to do it. Mm -hmm. It will be an enterprise platform for growth. Remember, Mm -hmm. you got to recognize who you are. I've always been orientated towards how you drive growth for a business. I said, if I'm going to do this, this is how I'm going to structure this group. These are the key divisions I want underneath my control. I want to have autonomy. And I have a history of turning around brands. And she and I, it was a very quick interview process. Let's just say that. She's like, I think you're the right person. And I think it wasn't just because of my brand background. Mm-hmm. It's because of my global background. Right. Right. And, and how I look at the confluence and the convergence of cultures. I have this transcultural background. And being able to bring your whole self to a role and be of the culture and represent different divergent points of views at this particular time when divergent points of views are often challenged and under attack, it was a breath of fresh air. And I have to say, I'm working with the most extraordinary group of people, really impressive individuals. And I'm grateful for taking this leap and sidestep into this side Mm -hmm. because I get to exercise different muscles, right? 
I still get to drive growth for business, but I'm doing it under, at a diverse media company that has everything from you know films and studios to news to Refinery29 and being able to do that and speak with authority about these cultures. Because I've worked in almost every country mm-hmm. except for Australia and New Zealand. So I can often reference something because I've worked there or work with a client in that part of the world, right. which makes it easier for me to be in this particular global CMO world. So when you decided on Vice, and you don't have to tell me who you turned down because I know that there were other companies coming after you. But what I would like to know is what is it that turned you maybe off or that made you not decide to go with a different company? I'm finally listening to myself. Mm. I think sometimes you go with a company that may be safe. You think it's the safer route or it's the comfortable approach or it'll be a bit easier. I would never have left to begin with to go to Africa if I do. I don't do easy well. Mm. I always take on challenges and try to figure out how to unpack it. It's like I believe that, you know, in many ways, my career has been the ultimate Rubik's Cube, right? Where I kind of look at how to solve the puzzle in different ways. I've never taken the comfortable way. When it starts getting easy, do you get bored? Like, you know what I mean? I got bored. And once you fix it, we did Courage is Beautiful for Doug, yeah. that amazing work. And yeah. we did Black is Beautiful, you know, and where I did amazing work and I was so proud of it. But I also knew I needed more and I needed to do more. And it was time for me to spread my wings and, and bring my skill set to another team where I, it would be a different marriage, a different partnership. And so Vice Media Group provides me that opportunity. And it's with a completely different set of people. But again, I get to bring my whole self to the table and be unapologetically me. And I think that the lesson for anybody out there is be unapologetically brave about who you are and who you're not. So part of taking opportunities is recognize, yeah, that looks like easy money. But if it begins to impact who you are, your character, or if it impacts you as a person and you believe that it impacts your integrity, mm-hmm. you, don't, you don't want to do it because you won't be able to sleep no. at night. That's right. Do you have a few tips for people who might feel stuck, right? They might feel stuck. They might not feel courageous. They may not be yeah. as courageous as Nadja, but they feel stuck and they need to do something to help oh. them get unstuck. Oh, yeah. I have a great exercise. I've done, and I've done it several times. Mm-hmm. So... When I was a little girl, I used to get the old school like Spiegel catalog and get the magazines and cut out everything I wanted, even though I couldn't afford it and make like a collage of everything. I still do that. I make a vision board of what I want my life to be. Mm-hmm. I have a vision board of what I want my, my, my next chapter of my life to be. And I keep updating it. I tell people, sit down with your big cardboard, white cardboard and start to without any kind of limitations, just put the pretty pictures together. What life do you want? Where do you want to live? What experiences do you want to have? Put that down. What kind of body do you want to have? How, you know, imagine, imagine your family, your, your partner, your love, your everything. Imagine all of that and put it on paper and then write on one page of what you want someone to say about you. Oh, I like that. A one pager that you of what you would want someone else to say about you. 
Yep. And say this, tell this is what they'd say about you. So you're someone else talking about you. And then you read that back to yourself. Okay. And then you begin to highlight this is missing. Mm-hmm. And then you come back to it, you refine it. Mm-hmm. And my bio today is very much a reflection of, of that exercise of who I am. At 30, I knew I wanted to work, be known as a global marketer, but how do you get there? Mm-hmm. What's the arc to get there? Mm-hmm. You want to be seen as someone who helps transform brands. How do you get there? You actually have to transform those brands and establish that level of reputation. You want to be known as someone who has been a game changer, right? right. How are you going to do that? Where can you actually make an impact? And so all of these were part of my decision to take in the job that I did. That and is they, fantastic. That's, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. Yes. The next thing comes up, then I'll figure out what's next. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, Naja. This is so awesome. I love hanging out with you. I can't. I know. Like, well, wait, we're almost opening. So we'll get to see each other. Like for real, for real. You think we're, what do you mean we're almost opening? I don't we're know. I'm, I'm trying to be optimistic. I think it's going to take a little longer than we, than we want it to still. This summer, we have to get out. As humans, we need human interaction. Everyone's not going to be up in the club like before, but they need a bit more. <laughs> I don't know. I'll be at the party in the backyard with a good DJ, still moving and grooving. Yes, yes. I see. I'll meet you there. How's that sound? Maybe, right. We'll meet at the party. You bring yes. everything to the, like, we'll be there. We'll, we'll bring everything we need. But I think people just miss being together. Mm-hmm. Miss people. The introverts are having a ball. I get it. But you they know, are. they're like, this is great. I don't know what's wrong with you extroverts, but I miss a bit of human interaction. I miss a good in-person brainstorm with everybody together. And don't let there be like, I'm I'm the worst one. I'm the one who's like, oh, now let's act it out. Maybe we'll have a skit. And they're like, oh my God, she's crazy. I used to do, you know, one of the most amazing, one of the clients I had was Bill and Linda Gates Foundation. We had an Uh off-site, two and a half hours outside Nairobi, Kenya at Uh Michael Lodge. I was like, where am I? Mm -hmm. I'm in the middle of the country of Kenya. Mm -hmm. I've also done this in Nepal. I've Mm -hmm. done this in Jakarta, Indonesia. (laughs) I have done this in Rwanda. (laughs) As I think about it, I've been a lot of places. (laughs) If you could go anywhere right now, where would you go? Wow. Okay, so my family knows I wish I could go home to Jamaica, but you know, mm-hmm. I can't go right now. I would love to be at the beach in Kenya, in Lamu. Yeah, Lamu is kind of beautiful. So Jamaica, Lamu, and then honestly, Greece. It's beautiful. We're going to put it all on the vision board. You've been listening to Phenomenal Grit, Career Conversations for Women of Color. And this is your host, Aaliyah Kennett. Send me feedback or thoughts to Aaliyah at PhenomenalGrit.com. That's Aaliyah, no Y's, no H's, A-L-I-A at PhenomenalGrit.com. Please subscribe to Phenomenal Grit and leave a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts.